okay, wait. Oh, I'm on. Let's see. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just decided I can't speak today. <laughs> oh my gosh, look at you guys. Like, I still need water. I still need time to get it every week. Some things haven't. It's unbelievable. Thank God we are all here together. You all look amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And thank you, Jen. Like how Jen shares and like suddenly we remember everything. You know, I love this community so much and I love God so much and I love our mission so much. You know, may we be known for everything that Jen named. May we be known for our love. May we be known for our inclusion. Oh, God, thank you for this moment. It was a long time coming. Thank you for how you have formed us as a community. We ask that you continue to form us and shape us to witness your love, your goodness, your kindness in our world. We love you so much. Amen. Well, our oldest son grew up without a TV. We had access to movies only in those days, but when we would be with my sister and her children, Luke discovered the wonderful world of Saturday morning cartoons. And I'm not sure if it was at my sister's house, if we were at a motel vacationing together, but Luke was alone with my sister and her kids in their room, and they were watching the cartoons, and he realizes that he has to go to the bathroom. And so he says, Aunt Sharon, could you please push the pause button? And my sister, who was already convinced that we were raising our children in the Stone Age, um, said, uh, Luke, honey, there is no pause button on a TV. And Luke didn't understand this foreign concept, so he ran to Tom and to me, crying that Aunt Sharon would not push the pause button in justice that it was. And 30 years later, our world pushed, hit the pause button. We unwittingly without choosing and with great reluctance and with lots of suffering, we collectively hit the pause button. So this is a quote from The Atlantic. Many years ago, I met a woman who had the kind of experience that you ordinarily find only in fiction. As a young adult, she was in a serious car accident resulting in a head injury she suffered a period of total amnesia, followed by months of convalescence. When she, when she recovered, she was never the same. Her family relationships weakened, 
She cut out former friends and found new ones. She moved halfway across the world. Her interests and cha tastes changed. She became more outgoing, less self-conscious. She no longer cared much what other people thought about her. Her parents always attributed these major changes to her bump on the head. But she told me, no, the injury had nothing to do with it. Rather, it was the recovery time away from ordinary routines that created a punctuation mark in the long sentence of her life. She had a unique opportunity to assess her priorities. She vowed to take nothing in her former life as given. She tore her beliefs and values down to the studs and rebuilt them. And in doing so, she said she became happy for the first time in her life. So friends, here we are. The world has pushed pause and what we all thought might be three weeks will be closer to a couple years when all is said and done. And we are invited to consider this bump in the road and make the most of our recovery. 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus died, the miserable death that one dies as an insurrectionist, there was a bump and every hope, every dream, everyone's sense of purpose was crucified with Jesus on the cross. Jesus' friends did not fully understand the scope of Jesus' ministry. They knew Jesus through their own needs, right? Their needs to have a Messiah who would overthrow Roman oppression. Their needs to sit at the right hand of power to mitigate their own insecurity. Their very human need for their tribe to be the tribe. And even so, when Jesus died, it was like Narnia, always winter, but never Christmas. It was the worst of everything. It was thorough despair. And then somehow, like that, Jesus returns, and in some impossible way, hope is on the horizon. And no one is quite sure what to do or what it means. So this is Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are our dreams going to be realized now? Everything we want from you, is that going to happen now, Jesus? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that God has set by God's own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking into the sky intently as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill they called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so here's what's important for us this morning. Hope has died. And then in this crazy whiplash moment, quite beyond what seems humanly possible, hope appears again. And it looks different, sometimes unrecognizable. And there's confusion about how to respond to hope and what re-engaging with life means. And then there's a period of waiting, of waiting and of praying. So we don't know what this time looked like in the upper room, but I imagine it would be a combination of what people call apophatic prayer and cataphatic prayer. And you never have to know what these words mean after today. <laughs> apophatic prayer would include silence. So it would mean moments of allowing their souls, their whole beings, stillness, as the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. So to know internally, to resonate or to experience the isness of God, that God is, that we're never ever separated from that God, neither life nor death nor anything else in creation. Apophatic prayers are a moment beyond words, where deep calls to deep. And cataphatic prayer lives in our imaginations and is often expressed in words and song and liturgy, what most of us are used to for our rhythms every day. In my imagining of the upper room, there are moments of silence where healing enters our souls by allowing for that perfect rest that we long for. But when that silence is too much, I imagine singing and chanting of the Psalms. In my imaginings in that upper room, I see small gatherings, two or three people talking softly, connecting to each other about their hopes and their fears holding sweet space for different experiences. In my imagining of that upper room, there's reuniting, there's hugging and kissing and the kind of laughter that makes you cry and then you do cry and then you realize that that's the moment that you've been waiting for. Our pause button is being pushed It's been pushed at a global level, at a national level, at a local level. We feel it as a faith community. Like, What does it mean to go forward? What changes 
might we make? What do we hold as sacred? How have we changed? What does it mean? Many of us feel it individually. Our pause button has been pushed and it's slowly underpressing. We are like a woman who is giving birth. I actually know something about this. The woman has hit that period in labor that's called transition. That last bit of time before the baby is born. You have all this pain and you have all this unknown and you have vague ideas about timing and about what you can expect after this baby is born and for heaven's sake, you've made it this far but you're still pretty out of control. Perhaps we're in our own upper room. Perhaps this is our liminal space, not between brokenness and fixedness, but between a particular pause and the phased resolution of this particular situation. But in this pause, like our woman with amnesia, we can take those moments according to our own felt needs, according to our own proclivities, and ask the questions that are ruminating in all of us, in lots of blogs and podcasts and articles right now. We're being invited in this time to consider these last 15 months. In this season of social isolation, things have happened for many of us. We've lost loved ones. Relationships have transitioned. Social and relational dynamics in our systems have been revealed. In these last moments, we've created new rhythms. We've asked deep questions and God has used this time in our lives to stir and to awaken us in new ways. One of my favorite mystics, Julian of Norwich, lived during the Black Plague. And during that time, millions and millions and millions of people died. And still Julian says, all shall be well, all shall be well all manner of things shall be well. Mystics tap into a deeper truth, an eternal reality that goes beyond our present suffering. Often our waiting is the process where we have our moment to find our all shall be well voice. A voice that's different than, ooh, COVID has ended all over the world. Or a voice that's different than announcing good news that racial equity is now upon us because those voices and others we will fight for our whole lives. These inclinations of the spirit invite us to live lives of purpose. Julian's words are different. Julian's words, which arise after a vision. She was on her deathbed, a young woman, 30 years old. She had succumbed to the plague. She had been given her last rites. Her mom was in the process of 
closing her eyes while she's having a vision that would take the rest of her life to write about and to, to unpack. But after this connection uh, to God, Julian's words speak of eternity. Julian's all shall be well announced that we always and forever will be found in God, in God's goodness, in God's care, and God and God's goodness and God's care will always be found in us. I'll close with this. About 15 years ago, Tom, my husband, um, had what's called an acoustic neuroma. So this is a benign tumor um, that's precariously close to your brain. And while the tumor is always benign, it's only in the last few decades that surgeries have been developed that protect, protect against more dire or consequential outcomes. So it was a bit nerve-wracking for our family. From diagnosis to surgery to major recovery was about three months. And as Tom recovered, he just wanted to re-engage with life. With every moment, he wanted to see more people, he wanted to do more things. As his walking has become easier, he's talking about skiing. As, as he's throwing a ball forward, he's talking about what it would... I mean, every uh, second of his recovery is imagining more and desiring to engage with life more and more people. During the process of those three months, I was fine. I was at the top of my game until the moment that I knew that Tom was fine. And it was at that time, it was at that moment that I completely fell apart. And what falling apart looked like for me was I would sit on my bedroom and stare, on my bed and stare. I'd have to be in my bedroom because that time I had kids that were 8, 10, 12, 14, and 16, if I just counted five kids, and they were very, very noisy. Um, so I would sit in my bedroom, on my bed, and do something that looked like this. Sometimes I looked out the window, but mostly I just stared into space. Eventually, I started to close my eyes, and that necessity became my introduction to my beloved practice of apophatic or silent or centering prayer. I asked a therapist at that time, like, what's going on? What am I doing? Why am I staring into space? Or why am I closing my eyes and wanting to move somewhere beyond words, beyond thoughts, beyond feelings? Like, what's going on for me, especially when Tom is like, come on, I've made plans, come on, let's go here, let's go there, let's live, let's ski, let's... Like, oh my God, oh my God. What's going on? And the therapist said, 80 while Tom was going through that, you put all your emotions on hold and you just tried to be strong for you and for your family until or unless you needed to do something else. 
She said, but your emotion built up during that time. Your emotion built up and you didn't, couldn't attend to it. She said, your silence is just your body's way of working all of that out. So sweet friends, wherever you are on your journey, whether you're slowly making your way back like I did, kind of exploring, taking a moment at a time as we get used to a new reality, or whether you're just gung-ho like Tom, just anxious to do everything that we couldn't do for the last 15 months or anywhere in between. We are in transition. We are in space between space. We are in the process of leaving Egypt. We haven't quite gotten to the promised land. And in this space, God invites us to join with the disciples in their upper room. God invites us to find our rhythms and our practices that help establish our new equilibrium and find our way to God's peace and promised power. In service of this, David uh, mentioned earlier, we will have a contemplative service in a couple weeks. I hope any of you for whom that would serve will come and it will just be for the purpose of centering stillness, grieving. Beth Faga and I have put together um, a handful of practices. Um, Beth will create the ambiance because she's good at that and I'm not. Um, but please join us if that's helpful. So we're gonna end by taking a couple moments of silence here. I'm going to just repeat the psalmist's words, be still and know that I'm God. You can do what you want in those moments of silence, but be aware that God is with us. Some of you might be listening for God's voice. Some of you might be trying to get to that space beyond words. Some of you might be repeating some word that's meaningful to you. But we'll just take a couple moments of silence. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And we'll take just a few moments of silence. Thank you for your presence and your goodness to us, oh God. With that final moment, see if you can't sense God's presence with us.
We're so grateful to you, O oh God. Amen. We'll continue now in musical worship and a reminder to parents that you can pick up your kids from the kids' wing. <laughs> 